Okay, so this is what I'm thinking. I'm gonna start with a bomb chicka bomb bomb, and then you come in, right? And you're like, you got the touch. Like, just try it, try it. All right, go, go, go. And then you gotta, you gotta come in with that. You gotta come in. I will, yeah. So, but so give me, give me, give me the, give me the bomb 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 bomb. So, bomb ba da da da, ba da 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 da. You got the touch. <laughs> And then I'd be like, you got the power. No, no, this just sucks. All right, all right, all right. So we're just going to go with the regular. Okay, go. So we're talking movies. We're talking Boogie Nights, starring Julianne Moore, Burt Reynolds, and Mark Waldman. Written and directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. What can you expect when you're on top? You know, it's like Napoleon. When he was all like king, you know, and people are just constantly trying to conquer him, you know, like in the Roman Empire. So it's like history, like repeating itself. <laughs> All over again. This film has so many great quotes. This is a bit of a longer one, but I love this one by Jack Horner. I don't want to make a film where they show up, they sit down and jack off, and then they get up and they get out before the story ends. It is my dream. It's my goal. It's my idea to make a film that the story just sucks them in. And when they spurt out that joy juice, they got to sit in it. They can't move until they find out how the story ends. You know? I want to make a film... Hey everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of How'd You Like That Movie, where we're talking disco, pornography, and boogie nights from 1997, 1970, 1997. Uh, Yeah, this is like, in my opinion, probably one of Paul Thomas Anderson's best films. It's got all my favorite things, the 70s and porn and disco in it. So, Scott, (laughs) take us away. Like, I I like how we're, we're... We're like a one one take pony because you know you can't even get the year right of the movie we're fucking. Which doing, I'm literally right? reading off my notes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but one in terms of your quote, I'm surprised you didn't go with the Eel uh, Scott. No, I don't want to kiss you. Like, no, no, I'm surprised you didn't you didn't go there. Because it's because I don't actually think about you that much, Scott. I don't even really think about you much when you're on the show with me. So <laughs> true enough. True enough. Um. Well, before we start, you know, it's uh, it's film festival season right now. And do, do you want to say anything to to our glorious audience about both these festivals? Both and, these uh, festivals? You know, a certain cast, a certain cast. That's amazing. Mm. I mean, it sounds like you probably just want to say it, but I can no, say no, it. No, 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 you, you should say it, you know, as the right. Yes, we, we, we have here in the Kitchener-Waterloo area in Ontario... Canada, for those of outside of Canada, uh, we have the Waterloo Regional. The sorry, we have the Grand River Film Festival coming up, and uh, a certain writer, producer, director, um, and not an adult film yet. Uh, <laughs> myself, uh, I actually have two films that are going to be in the Grand River Film Festival: uh, Heartache and Unsolicited. And Unsolicited has actually won Best Cast uh, at the Alt Film Festival. And uh, uh, Mr. Scott Vega is one of the actors in that film. So you uh, you can come out and you can see uh, Scott uh, do his thing other than watching him do his thing here. So is that, is that enough of a fucking plug that you were alluding to or what? Well, I think you should have been like 
he was the cast member, but how can you? I'll, I'll go. It, it was an ensemble. Piece. It is an ensemble so, cast. That's like I'll saying that there's that, like you know? one person in Boogie Nights because it also has an ensemble cast. There is one person in Boogie Nights, and his name is so powerful. The sign explodes, and that name is <laughs> Dirk Diggler. Buddy, listen, I hear you. I hear you. But look, we can't get the tapes. We need the tapes. The <laughs> magic that's on this tapes is ours, right? You, you got the touch. All right, let's talk about this fucking movie. I'm super excited to talk about this movie. Okay. Uh, so yeah. No, in terms of that song, uh, we, we were talking about it off off beat, but you you said to save it for here. So you don't know what movie that song originally played in. I don't. In I the don't. 80s. No, yeah, what's it from? So this movie, when they played the song, 100% ruined my childhood. Because in my head, I'm like, was it a fucking porn, porn guy that fucking sang the song? But the song is originally in Transformers, the movies, the cartoon version. And it's like the big fucking montage song when they like start coming together and Optimus Prime gives his like power to Rodimus Prime. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's it? It, it? In my head, that, that sounded like that was way more epic. Is that that's really where that song is from? That's crazy. Yeah. Transfer it's a cartoon. It's literally the cartoon of Transformers, the movie. Nice. Okay, let's talk, let's talk about Boogie Nights and Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh yeah, give me your broad strokes on this, man. Yeah, I do. Like, even now, like, I, I enjoy the film. This film does have a lot of flaws in it. Really? Oh, I'm going to be interesting to hear what you think are flaws in this movie. How do you not think there's flaws in this movie? I think, I, I mean, I think this is as perfect as a film as you can get, but let's uh, let's flesh it out. Go ahead. Okay. So, in, in terms of the representation of women. Mm-hmm. So, you don't think that there's flawed in this? I think that the representation of women as portrayed in the 70s seems pretty accurate. I mean, I'm not a, a historian. I, and I mean, I, like, I was born in the 70s. I'm old, but I'm not fucking that old. I didn't grow up in the 70s. But it seems like this is how women... I mean, women are kind of treated like this sometimes now. So the idea that they were treated like that in the 70s in the adult entertainment industry... That seems quite plausible. Uh, I mean, I, I'm open to, you know, being corrected on that, but that's well, my basic okay. understanding. So I'll give, like, here my example. Like, I get what you're saying, and I think in terms of that, yes, like, women were exploited a lot mm. in terms of in the industry, in the time frame. But if you think about it in terms of story arc, Julianne Moore is kind of the villain of this film. Uh, I wouldn't say she's the villain, but go ahead. Okay, but think about it. Like Mark's the Mark Wahlberg's character is like the, you know, the upstart, the star. You know, everybody wants to see him, and then she's the one that pretty much forces him to try cocaine for the first time, and then he didn't like it off the first nostril, and she's like, "No, you got to do more." And then he's like, "No, I, I, I don't." And like, kind of forces him into that, and then all of a sudden. You know, the next scene is he's a degenerate drug addict because <laughs> it's also she... the 80s. And some of this is so you got to remember, this is like loosely based on the life of John Holmes. Right. So he had a lot of those problems as well. Um, uh, what's his name uh, from Top Gun? Iceman there. What's his name? Uh, Val Kilmer. Actually Val Kilmer. Real, yeah. What is it called? Like Wonderland. He plays like basically a John, the John Holmes character or whatever. Like he his life got all fucked up, too. 
So mm-hmm. I, I hear what you're saying that like she becomes like <clears throat> the catalyst for, you know, Dirk's downfall, but realistically Dirk is Dirk's downfall, right? Like his mm-hmm. ego, his attitude. Um, so Paul Thomas Anderson actually Boogie Nights is like the, the, like the genesis of Boogie Nights is uh, a short film that this fucking guy did in high school called the Dirk Diggler story. It's like a mockumentary. Did you uh, watch it? I did watch it. Yeah, it was on YouTube. I watched it too. And I, uh, I'm not go gonna lie, like that story was way better than this story. It's darker. Like it's oh, way darker. One hundred percent. And it like it actually brings in kind of where it went, like in terms of like Dirk Diggler and um oh my god, I'm having a brain Frank fart. Frank Horner, the director, or Rothschild? Rothschild. Yeah. They were they were technically, you know, lovers, lovers as well right and then it, it wasn't just straight porn he would do it was like he was bisexual and if you think about it probably in that industry like you would get the work to get the work right so yes. it didn't really matter but here it was very like you know anything that was associated with um homosexuality you it was frowned upon and they got beat up all the time right it was alluded to Right. Like even at the beginning when he was like, it's five bucks or 10 bucks, like whatever you want to just look at it kind of thing. But yeah, it's like anything that was homo homosexual, what was like got beat up on like, yeah, yeah, yeah. that was close to the end. Right. But continue. Yeah. I mean, I, again, I think, and I mean, I'm sure that, that feels like a studio decision, right? Like, like when they're looking at the script, you know, we got to we got to make this. We got to make that. I mean, it, originally, Paul Thomas Anderson wanted this thing to be like over three hours long. He wanted it to have a NC-17 rating, which in the U.S. is actually the higher than the R rating. And the studio's like, no, like we'll give you we'll give you R and it can't be three hours. And it comes in about it's about two and a half hours long and it has its it has its R rating or whatnot. Um, and so you figure like it was supposed to be raunchier and longer. So, uh, I do like, again, yeah, that's what she said. Uh, I did, I did feel the same way about the Dirk Diggler story. I wish that there would, it would have been like Boogie Nights had been even darker than it is, but I do think it's a very, very good film. Uh, everything they do in this, as far as like telling those story arcs. And so one of the things that Paul Thomas Anderson is known for is conflicted characters, right? Like in all his films, his characters have trauma and trouble and you know they have social problems and everything and that is a hundred percent on display in boogie nights and so and i don't want to dig too much into paul thomas anderson just because he's got a a large body of work and there's lots of places you can go with this um including nepotism because like really his dad was like a big deal in you know the tv industry and stuff like that as well um i think he was a broadcaster or something um do you have you seen much of his work? Like, have you seen all of his work? Or, well, we we discussed Licorice Pizza, which is I awful. Fucking, yeah, it's fucking true awful. enough. Um, it's it's as good as it sounds. Licorice Pizza. <laughs> I, I, honestly, I thought that did sound fucking good, right? <laughs> but um, I've seen, yes, like I think Punch Drunk Love doesn't get a, as much credit as it should and i think adam sandler adam sandler's awesome in dramatic roles 
I, I yes. wish he would actually do more of them, but maybe it's good that he doesn't because we remember the ones that he does, like Uncut Gems and Punch Drunk Love and even Funny People. Yeah. It's really good. In. Yeah. Mongolia. Mm. Right? Like, I've seen... It's, it's, did you wait? No, it's Magnolia, not Mongolia. Oh, really? <laughs> All right, whatever. It's the flower, not the country. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going. So did you go to, like magnolia grill or yeah maybe <laughs> it's all like flowers thrown in a big pan and cooked up <laughs> yeah but i think in terms of his films the only ones i haven't seen is the phantom thread mm-hmm. i haven't seen that one um inherent vice i watched half of it but then something happened i had to leave i never actually finished it with walking phoenix and i thought the master was amazing yeah so, I mean, uh, so I've, I've managed to now at least touch on all of his films. I started watching Phantom Thread last night. Inherent Vice is basically unwatchable. Like, it's it's awful. It's all over the place. And it's interesting. So, his uh, editor is Dylan, well, for a lot of his films, was Dylan Titchener. And so, he worked on a whole bunch of his stuff, right? Like, There Will Be Blood and a bunch of other ones. And then... You start looking at the ones that he didn't work on, work on like Inherent Vice and Licorice Pizza, and I'm like, the story really falls apart. So I, it would be interesting to see, like, to put them all up against each other and see where he's moving around with editors. Because, like, ed- the editor-director relationship is so important about mm-hmm. – I think the editor keeps the director in check often to be like, yeah, I, I see where you're trying to go with this, but you're not actually telling that story with what we're seeing on the picture – the editor gets to almost be that second set of eyes or they actually are that second set of eyes. Um, because I think that boogie nights, I, I like the master as well. I also like Magnolia or Mag- Mongolia as, as you say. Um, mm-hmm. I think boogie nights is actually the best film that he has done where everything comes together. The story, the acting, the soundtrack, the cinematography, like that's what I mean by it being like a, and the editing, like it is a perfect film. Um, I was just, when I was rewatching it, you know, as you know, that I'm, I'm working on, well, I'm getting ready to produce another film, but I have another of my own films that I'm putting together and it has an ensemble cast. And I had originally been going to like Reservoir Dogs as an example of how to shoot some of this. And then I rewatched Boogie Nights and I'm like, oh, there are so many long takes where the camera just moves around. Right. And you just get everybody. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I was going to talk about this too, but, I'm, but I'm, I'm, you're going to get into all these fucking boring details about <laughs> your life. So I'll just put in my two cents uh, <laughs> before we get to it. But yeah, he did it three times in this film. And the first time was the pop-in, the intro, mm-hmm. where they're going into the club and he's just follow. First, he, he follows um, Juan Guzman. Yep. And then he's getting intro to pretty much the main cast, right? It's like him putting Burt Reynolds and Julianne Moore onto the the booth, booth and then yep. he goes onto the dance floor. That's where you meet Don Cheadle and everybody. And then he's coming back around. And then, you know, in the background, that's when you first see Mark Wahlberg's character as the uh, busboy. Then he does it again, where it was closer to the end and it was pretty much like, how everything has like gone to shit for everybody right because mark Wahlberg literally just finished getting beat up by um the um by the homophobics um 
Roller Girl and Burt Reynolds are in the limo. And they but that's not by. a long take. That's definitely not a long take because you're editing back and forth. That no, opening... no, because think about it. It goes from it. It, it does the close up from Mark Wahlberg on the um, on the floor in the garage. Then it pans up to the car that drives by, and then it catches the other car, which is the limo with uh, Burt Reynolds. And then you follow them, and then that's right when they beat up the uh because they interlock the beating up of the one guy but, that but that's but school. that's what i'm talking like i understand that you you have a scene that is in, intertwined but technically like a like a like a long take is that there's no edit right so you're right about that opening intro shot because the camera just keeps moving right like there's no mm-hmm. they don't cut back and forth between uh dirk diggler and well, yeah I guess he's not it was dirk just Diggler. before that because it finishes with them beating up roller girl and burt reynolds beating up the other guy and while that's happening, Mark Wahlberg. But it finishes on Mark Wahlberg, pans to the car, then pants to the limo, then pans, and you follow Don Cheadle's car going into that donut place. By, by the way, there's actually a joke that people that don't know about camera movements, all camera movements become pans. They're not tilts. They're not this. They're not that. They're not push-ins. They're all pans. <laughs> so, are, and that's but am do. I right? Is that right, though? Was it not a pan? Uh, some of those were panning falling. shots. <laughs> yeah. So, fuck you. So another, I would say another really big example of a continuous shot is the New Year, 1979 New Year's Eve, right before it turns into the 1980s. And you're coming around. He does it a lot, actually, with the party scenes, right? Where you're like, and so you can get kind of, you feel like you're there, like you're in that space, right? And then you can move into a bedroom and then you can come back out. Like when uh, William Ace Macy goes in, sees like you, you, everything's happening. You see him come in the door. You see him go into the bedroom, shoot the wife, shoot himself. And it's the camera still hasn't stopped. They don't edit back. It's not like you shoot and then cut and edit back. The camera pulls back and you see everybody like freak out. It's awesome. Like it gives it such a fluid pace um, that uh, it's very active. It's a very active film. That's it? <laughs> no, uh, oh, I was just checking on something. Um, but yeah, I think that was like that. I think we discussed it before in our second ever episode was which was the Goodfellas scene when they had the long shot thing. And I think what like this movie came out seven years later and you, you, that's literally what I felt. Right? Mm-hmm. It was just like, hey, he did it once. We're going to do it multiple times in this film, right? And it works. I think I, th- I think it's very, it, it very much works for this film. Like, again, it, it brings you into the space uh, by using those. I'm assuming it's a, those, those are all Steadicam shots, right? So, yeah. yeah, like I think in terms of like characters, like, um, sorry, William H. Macy's character was the one like, fucking little bill like you felt for that guy this whole fucking time right like and and the the thing that like got you was the one when it's like the one party outside the the beach party at uh burt reynolds jack horner's house and then it's literally for no apparent reason her his wife getting um like doing a guy anally while a circle of people are just watching and she doesn't she say like you're embarrassing embarrassing me me. yeah (laughs) and then he walks out because he's all like fucking deflated and then the the cameraman starts talking about shots and stuff and then he's like my wife is literally right fucking there getting like 
ass fucked and you're talking to me about lighting and shit <laughs> like i don't have yeah. time for this yeah and he actually says like an uh an ass in it in it and an ass in her dick or something instead of a dick in her ass yeah. he, he actually gets it wrong and the reason they left it in is because it he's so flustered it really gets to the point of how like he can't even get his words out right mm. um yeah, I mean, I think this... So listen to this cast. Mark Wahlberg, Julianne Moore, Burt Reynolds, John C. Riley, William H. Macy, Heather Graham, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Phil Baker Hall, who was in uh, Cigarettes and Coffee and, and Heart 8, uh, and Robert Wrigley, who plays the Colonel. And in the Dirk Diggler story, he plays the original Jack Horner. And you would have mm. you know this because you've seen it. That Jack yeah. Horner became two characters in Boogie Nights. That fucking cast is amazing. Like... And they all work together so seamlessly. I'm so I am shocked that so many of these uh, female actors were willing to be have show so much nudity. Like, it, like I like the story needed it. I, I understand why it's there. I don't think it's gratuitous. It's actually done in a very like obvious way. Like, yep, we're shooting porn. You take your top off. Blah blah blah. But these are like like Julianne Moore and Heather Graham were both like solid actors. Like the fact that they were comfortable enough to do those nude scenes with Paul Thomas Anderson, I think is a credit to both him as a director and to them as actors willing to just like do what needs to get done to make the film the way it needs to be made. Yeah. I like, I, I don't know about it that much to speak on it, but again, like you name me one fucking movie made in the nineties that didn't have tits and ass in it. Name me one. Yeah. Fair enough. I mean, I can't, I can't do that either, but I don't know. I guess just watching it in, in 2022, um, it's just crazy to think that these very, very recognizable actors were just that comfortable with that level of nudity. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah, I get you. But back then, too, like, wasn't that um, kind of the joke? Like, you show your tits, you're you're getting nominated for an Oscar? Especially if it's uh, a, in a dramatic, uh, dramatic piece. Maybe, maybe. Um, but I mean, so if you think about the fact that, so the character of Eddie or Dirk, right, uh, was offered to Leonardo DiCaprio and Joaquin Phoenix. And Joaquin Phoenix said he didn't want to do it because he didn't feel comfortable playing a porn star. But then you got Julianne Moore and Heather Graham, like, not only playing porn stars, but being like half naked when they do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, like it just shows again, like the think, the, 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 con, the, con, is... the contrast between like male actors don't even want to play like the character, and the female actors are not only playing the characters but going like very deep into those characters and showing off a lot of nudity in order to get the character right. You know what I mean? Yes, uh, I, I, yeah, and even um, Burt Reynolds had a lot of reservations about like his like this movie and his portrayal in it too, right? Which is funny because he, this is like, he got an Oscar nod, a BAFTA nod, and he won a SAG award for it. Or no, a Golden Globe, I believe, for it. Um, it was like, it's probably his bet, most nominated role in his film history. Yeah, but okay, so, and I was just... And he's quickly... awesome, by the way. Burt Reynolds as Jack Horner. Like, I couldn't even imagine, any, like, anybody else playing Jack Horner. And, I mean, Bill Murray, Harvey Keitel, Warren Beatty, Albert Brooks, and Sidney Pollack were all considered for the role. And I can't even imagine like Burt Reynolds is the seventies, the fucking mustache, like, like, like Burt Reynolds, the act, like the actor is the seventies. So having him as like the porno director of the seventies is 
perfect. It's like the fucking role was written for the man, you know? Yes. Now, as uh, I was saying before you fucking interrupted me. So if you're looking at Julianne Moore. Yeah. So before Boogie Nights, pretty much the only other film that, you know, she she had a major kind of uh, commercial in. effect would have been the Lost World Jurassic Park. Everything else was just like supporting parts like in The Fugitive and Benny and June uh, in nine months. So it was pretty much this one. Uh, Jurassic Park comes out. This one comes out. Big Lebowski comes out. And then she's in the uh, Cycle remake. Mm. And then all of a sudden, you know, she's taken off. Well, she. I think this film you know, obviously showed what she can do, right? She's, As... she, she's so good. Like, her acting in this is so good. Like, going between the, like, you know, caring mother to, like, the coked-out caring mother um, to, like, the... Oh my God. Let's get out of the... Let's go. Let's go for a walk. Uh, I don't want to... <laughs> but I don't want to leave this room, me either. <laughs> like... How about, how about you just call me mom? I'm going to ask you if you're my mom, and you're just going to say yes. Are you my mom? Yes. Let's go do a pottery class. Um, <laughs> and Paul Thomas Anderson does a really good job with showing like that kind of like cocaine, not quite psychosis, but like, like it feel, you feel edgy. You feel edgy watching those scenes, right? Cause he, he's editing back and forth really tightly and their dialogue is coming out really, 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 really fast. Um, mm. Yeah. I mean, I don't, to me, there's, there's no, like it's a two and a half hour movie. And at no point do you go, Yo, and when the fuck is this movie over? Like, I I was actually shocked when I checked the time on it. I was like, oh my god, this is a this is a fucking long movie. Like, everything needs to be there. Like that that series, you know, into the eighties and stuff like that. Like, you have to have that because it completes your story arc. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I get it. Now, in terms of like this film was nominated for some Oscars, right? Mm-hmm. But for, I don't think it. I got I've got uh, for supporting actor. For supporting actress and original screenplay, and that's what it, it's yeah. got. It BAFTA nods for supporting actor and original screenplay, and it didn't. But I don't think it won any, right? It did not. It won at some of the yeah. other like minor award shows and stuff. Okay. Which I mean, I should have actually got. I should have seen who did win in those years, um, because I'm surprised it didn't win for original screenplay. Like it's a pretty solid screenplay. Um, but I mean, it's sort of like you know when we talked about Brokeback Mountain. Like sometimes, depending on where you are in history, the Academy has a certain kind of mindset. And mm-hmm. so it could very be, it could very easily have been, they're like, we're not giving a bunch of Oscars to a porno, a movie about porno where now I think if you release boogie nights now, it would even do better. Right. Like, well, well I think in, in, in respect, maybe not quite right now. Cause people can't watch fucking movies for two and a half hours anymore. So, uh, there was a four hour fucking just the league movie oh. that was very well reviewed. Yeah. Uh, but- <laughs> Um, I was gonna say, like the one I don't know if this film's been made because I didn't actually look into it. But watching this film, the one kind of like thread story arc that I would like to see is is when you look at the actual pornography industry where it goes from film to video mm. to now digital, like and how that kind of um like sets pop pop culture because like in terms of vhs and beta the thing that won that uh, why vhs won it was because of porn yes 
Yes, it was absolutely. easier to produce porn on VHS than it was beta, and which we kind of see in that background scene when they finally have like when uh, Jack Horner's character finally goes to video, and then he's just walking that little warehouse and it's just like Kate, like um, shelves and and like fucking just a warehouse full of fucking like porn videos so the the most recent one that i'm super excited to see that's just getting its actual like wider release is called pleasure uh it got nominated for indie spirit awards this year in the 2022 indie spirit awards um and it's 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 kind of it misses the 80s until now and it's about now right it's about a woman moving from a small town to los angeles and she wants to be like the on top of the world right like in the porn industry so and then, I mean, there is stuff like King Cobra, which talks about the gay porn industry a bit uh, in the streaming world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, it's it's not on VHS, I don't believe, at that point. I think they're starting to do streaming. But yeah, it would be interesting to see that almost like that Boogie Nights, like see that pickup. You pick up in the VHS world and then you take it through Vivid, through all of that, like the Jenna, Jan- Jenna Jameson's, the rise of the actual like popularly like gnome porn star and then into the stuff like you know Pornhub and and the streaming services well i think we should write it there you go you you just made it we just made your (laughs) (laughs) you just you just got your next film in the can (laughs) that's right that's right uh that was my elevator pitch Um, there you go so go ahead go ahead i was gonna say in terms of like uh there's somebody that did believe that there was a flaw in this film. Um, I don't know if you know him. Oh, fuck. Here we go. But his name's uh, Tarantino. I Quentin knew that was going to happen. Because it's funny. I also have a quote about Tarantino. Go ahead. Go ahead. So, like, when this film came out, Paul Thomas Anderson, which, like, I don't get interview like i know we don't like in terms like i wish we can get like famous people on here like you know we're working Quentin on it, man. Yeah, yeah but like some of the th- things that i don't get is why constantly comparing one person to another and then asking that person it's like hey chris langfield uh um, it's langford it's langford <laughs> no no i'm just saying like because it would be an interviewer and he'd most likely just say your name wrong. Oh, just okay. Like, I thought that was just it, you. Right? I was like, I thought I thought this was like a Mongolian grill situation. So no, <laughs> a Mongolian grill situation. <laughs> <laughs> He'd be like, yeah, um, you know, your your work's a, a lot like, uh, you know, Jack Cousteau. Um, how do you how do you feel about that? Yeah, but, it feels good to be an all American. <laughs> but yeah so when this film came out he was being compared a lot to quentin enough so that he actually reached out to quentin Tarantino, like i'm getting fucking asked about you all the time i figure we should talk and get to know each other now they're like bosom buddies they're bffs yeah yeah they're they're pretty much they're bafta bffs they're they're pretty much us and which quentin just talks about himself and Paul's just like, Quentin's a good guy. I like Quentin. <laughs> <laughs> not, not an unreasonable comparison. <laughs> <laughs> but his critique of this film is actually the Burt Reynolds character. And 
reading this and then watching this movie, I 100% like it never clued in because I, um, you got to tell us what he fucking said before you give your yeah, ex- yeah. your reason for I'm just agreeing saying, with he, it. He, it's in regards to, you know, the cop porno film, right? Like your quote uh, that you used was like his goal to make yeah, a film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To make a, like it. a real film that you wanted to see the whole story. And then, you know, they make this cop porno film. Mm-hmm. And then With he Bro- makes the Brock Landers. Yeah, he makes the comment saying, you know, this is the best movie I've ever made. But you see clippets of that movie and it looks like fucking shit. Uh-huh. Like even the other stuff they were showing before looked better than than this. It just looked like pieces of shit. So and what did Quentin Tarantino say? <laughs> We're he's still saying, trying to get back to that. Yeah. So his critique was that obviously um Burt Reynolds' character was actually based on um the director Jared Demano, who directed Deep Throat, who I what I believe was like the most popular porn movie ever. With made. Lindsay Lovelace, yeah. And it turned yeah. out like it was basically like mob funded and she was like forced into a bunch of stuff and but yeah it it was it was like porn that crossed like the mainstream like yeah it was actually shown in yeah yeah it was shown in uh actual theaters as well correct and then he he was saying in terms of your quote um and then tarantino goes believe me i've seen more porno movies than paul has because i used to work at a porno theater (laughs) and i saw a lot of movies that were crappy like that but he he has Bert uh, Bert's character say that it's full on moving close up. This is the greatest work yet. It's my finest work. He goes, Debano was a better director than that, and thus Jack Horner should have been a better better director than that. Oh, Debano nice. was a good enough filmmaker to know the difference between oh wow, this is the best I've ever done, and oh, this one has a little bit of story. It's a cheap line because the character would know the difference. And the work is not the best work he could possibly have done. Man, that's that's a solid that's a solid criticism from Tarantino, and it's like it's unfortunate because you're right. Now that I think about it, I'm like they could have fixed that by just having that footage of Dirk Diggler in that film, like even in just that one, right in the first one, because as as he gets shittier, like the quality of the film goes down. Um, you could have had it beautiful, right? You shoot it really beautifully. And then, and then it's like, it does look like the best work he's ever done. And then you can just go downhill from there. I yeah, mean, like if they use the same, um, I don't know what kind of film they used in this, this movie, I'm mm-hmm. guessing like 12 well, millimeter. It would be 35 millimeter, whatever. <laughs> so, but it, it looks like it was made in an eight millimeter. Yeah. Like, it, it looks like yeah, yeah, yeah. Film, well, and it, but... it's it's grainy and it's fucking not lit well, and you yeah. know stuff like that. So if they if they went to that film and technically using the same film they're using for filming Boogie Nights, yes, and then yes, once you see the other film, see like the other sequels that they would just pan out, and those get shittier and shittier. You pan yeah, left and like, right, you pull yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, are you still starving? Why don't you feast on this? <laughs> Uh, that's actually, yeah, that's, that's great criticism from Tarantino. Um, uh, I, one of the reasons I think that this is like Paul Thomas Anderson's best work is I think he had a lot invested in it personally because he had done the Dirk Diggler story. And I'm going to tie this in with one of the quotes I have, uh, the Tarantino. Oh, so this is Jason Bailey from vice. Uh, the Tarantino comparison is ultimately less about technique 
than a shared joyful electricity of the filmmaking. The sense of an artist clearly high on the sheer act of making a movie. And you feel Paul Thomas Anderson's passion in this film. Like it feels like he went over this thing with like a fine tooth comb, every line, every music cue, every shot, everything is like, the best he could deliver. And I think that's why it's actually like, again, I haven't finished Phantom Thread. It's very slow. <laughs> it's a very slow like period piece. Um, but Boogie Nights feels like it was made with love. You know what I mean? It's like after you shoot that joy juice, you've just got to sit there and you can't move until you watch the rest of the film. You know what I mean? No. Yeah, I, I, I 100% agree with you, right? Like, and a lot of directors get to do that, right? Like look at... You know, Sam Raimi, his short Cabin in the Woods, then becomes Evil Dead. And then he got to remake it again with a big budget and make Evil Dead 2. So, and you can see the love each time. Um, and I think once, you know, a local director gets even more funding and all of a sudden unsolicited becomes a full-length feature film about relationships and dick pecs right like we're gonna feel that love it's gonna it's gonna be buddy i already know how unsolicited gets turns into a 90 minute feature film like i already i already have that 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 story in my head (laughs) so it's it's totally doable that's what i'm saying you're gonna feel the love it's gonna be the juice in there and we're we're just gonna sit and basket it we we may even moisturize ourselves with it Uh, so, I mean, Boogie Nights still stands up. It's currently got a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's got an 89% audience score. Made on a budget of $15 million, $43 million at the box office. I mean, I'd wonder how much it's made since it's moved into, like, the video-on-demand kind of world. Uh, not bad for a running time of two and a half hours. You know, written, directed, and produced. He was one of the producers, Paul Thomas Anderson, on it. A um, little bit of CanCon. Uh, Joanne Gleason, who plays Dirk's mother is a Tony Award-winning actor from Winnipeg. She's also the daughter of, Can- of a Canadian game show host. The, the host is Monty Hall. He is Canadian. The game show is Let's Make a Deal, which is an American, um, American show. So there's your can-can moment for this show. <laughs> Do you got anything else you want to talk about, Scott? You got the touch. No. No? You got the power. I'm done. All right, so the last thing I'm going to leave you on... I know it's normally Scott is this last quote from Emmanuel Levy from Variety. Considering the potentially explosive nature of the yarn set in the porn world, Anderson's strategy is remarkably non-judgmental and non-sensationalist, largely due to his love and respect for all the characters and his impressive story time skills. How the fuck could you not end with, yeah, I'm a star, baby. I'm a fucking star. And that is our wrap for the day. Please like and subscribe to this podcast. Tell your friends. If you want to get a hold of us, reach us at the www.howdyoulikethatmovie.com. you make your war movie and fucking Spielberg's like don't fucking do this and you're like what the fuck did you do right <laughs> like that was fucking like 30 years ago saving Private Ryan why don't you go make some ready player one why don't you go make some fuck fucking up? dinosaur movie oh wait you sorry, why, you invented you dinosaurs for that movie 10, man. <laughs> old man go make some West Side Story like come on like, 
I, fucking Chris Langford, I'm gonna make fucking magic happen here. The magic, the magic that's on that film, that's my magic, okay? You may own the film, but, but that's my magic. <laughs> Production by Rod Shaver, Vader Monkey Productions.